I want to take a minute to welcome all of you at Calvary Quakertown. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. And also let me add my welcome to everybody watching online. It's good to have you as well. We're in a series that we're calling Christianity Illustrated. And we're looking at some of the parables that Jesus told. Now, what are these parables? Well, the idea is Jesus takes a normal everyday occurrence. That doesn't mean that the event actually happened, but it could happen. It's a normal occurrence of life. And then Jesus throws alongside of that event a spiritual truth or reality so that when we see something like the event or remember the event, we also are reminded of the spiritual principle, the spiritual reality, and how they work together and the difference that it needs to make in our lives. Well, we've looked at a bunch of parables thus far, and this morning we're going to look at a stewardship parable, or maybe another way to think about it is the parable of participation. How many of you uh, like to watch a sport or so? Raise your hand. All right, any baseball fans, any baseball spectators? All right, those of you have your hands up. Let me ask, how many of you stayed up and watched the Phillies game last night? Anybody? Uh, we have a couple, believe it or not. I saw Harper's two-run home run, and I thought that tie was going to propel them to victory, and then there was a walk-off home run right after that, and they wound up losing. But interestingly, I can spectate, but I haven't participated in playing baseball for years and years. There are other sports that I participate in, and I really don't like to spectate. Other sports, I'm a spectator and participator. Are you kind of like that too? Well, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to your faith, are you a spectator or a participator? That's the point of the parable. I'm afraid that the same is true in our day as was true in Jesus' day. There are lots of people that claim to be followers of Jesus. Lots of people say, oh yeah, I want to continue what Jesus started. But the reality is they're in the stands or on the sidelines watching others participate, but they're spectating not participating. The parable that we're going to look at this morning calls us from spectating to participating. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. I'll read through verse 30. And I would encourage you, grab a Bible out of the seat rack or pick up your phone, go to YouVersion, pick up your tablet, follow along so that you're able to kind of capture what Jesus says in the story and a few of the principles that we'll work from out of the story. So in verse 14, here's the parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance, but whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the end of the parable isn't too uh, encouraging, but the point is pretty clear. So we're going to kind of work our way through the parable, tease out a few things, and then after that, I've got a few questions for you, and then we'll be finished. First of all, when it comes to the parable, I want you to notice the context. Uh, you can check it out later this afternoon. Three parables kind of go in sequence together. The first parable at the end of chapter 24 is basically about our position. If you want to know what your position is before God, read the, read the story at the end of chapter 24. It's our position. We're servants of God. We're not masters. We're not captains. We're servants of God. That's our position. You want to see your position description? Read the end of Matthew 24. Then the beginning of chapter 25, that parable is all about being prepared Jason's going to talk about that parable next week and help us understand how we can be prepared rather than ill-prepared. That's preparation. Our parable is about being productive. So you have our position, preparation, production. We need to be productive while we're waiting. Not passive, but productive. Not on the sidelines spectating, but on the playing field participating. That's the point of the parable. And there's a flow, a sequence to what Matthew's doing as he links together the stories of Jesus. So that's kind of the parable in its context. Notice the parable begins with an investment. A master calls in three of his servants and he gives them some bags of gold. Now your translation may have the word talent rather than gold. In fact, even the older NIV uses the word talent, not bag of gold. Well, why do, we some, why do some versions have talent and some versions have bag of gold? Because the word talent has taken on the meaning from America has talent. That's why. America has talent. What do you think of? You think of human beings that have the great talent of doing origami. Human beings can play the banjo or the harmonica. Human beings know how to cook tiramisu or make other great desserts. But they're not the talents that are spoken of in the story. In fact, the word talent is actually a Greek word. It's not even an English word. We take the Greek letters, make them, you know, just translate them in English letters. And that word has come to mean in English what we mean by talent. Aren't they talented musicians? Aren't they talented athletes? But that's not what the parable's about. The parable is not that a master is going on a journey and he teaches one guy how to sing really well. He teaches another guy how to play the banjo and another guy how to cook dessert. That's not what he does. He gives them money. That's why bags of gold takes the place of talent. And just in case you need to know, a bag of gold or a talent is a whole truckload of money. A talent, roughly, 
was like 20 years worth of wages. So whatever you wrote on your IRS form when you filled out your taxes, multiply under like total wages, tips, whatever you stole, oh, that number right there, and hopefully that's not true, but whatever you have number you wrote there, multiply that by 20, that's how much money the master gives these guys. Now, again, you can't translate money from one culture to another without some hiccups, but the idea is this is an enormous sum of money. It's a lifetime worth of money. These three servants hit the lottery. The guy who gets one talent gets 20 years salary one day. The guy who gets two gets 40 years salary. I'm learning, I'm figuring out math as we go. The guy who gets five talents, he's getting 100 years salary. Get the idea? An enormous amount of money. That's the investment that's made. He gives five bags, two bags, and one bag. Now notice, here's an important point. The guy that's given the two bags, he's not responsible to go and get the return that the guy who has five bags get. They both double their money, but doubling two is not the same as doubling five. The guy who has one bag, he's not responsible to return the, the, fold, the fivefold from the guy who has five bags. Everybody, according to their ability, is given a certain amount of money. I don't know how the master figured that out. That's what Jesus said in the story. According to their abilities, he distributes an enormous amount of wealth. Then he gives them instructions of what they're supposed to do with the money. No, he doesn't. Isn't that interesting? He does not tell them what to do with the money. Can I just tell you, if I'm giving you an enormous sum of money, I'm giving you detailed instructions of what you're supposed to do with that money, right? And one of them is don't lose it if it's my money. I would like it returned with interest or it'd be good if you could double it or triple it. That'd be, I'm giving you very detailed instructions. In the story, the master doesn't give the servants any instructions. Why is that? Well, I think the one reason is if he did lay out detailed instructions, some of you, kind of in over 10 of people, you would immediately take those details and you would go out and try to do the same exact thing. But Jesus in the story is reminding us the master, our master, is more interested in growing us than he is in producing wealth for himself. He wants to grow us. He knows that the guy who has five bags and the guy that has two bags and the guy that has one bag, they have different abilities. He doesn't give them detailed instructions, but he assumes that they each know him well enough that they will be able to follow his passions, live within the parameters of his will, his likes, his dislikes. He assumes they know him well enough that they will just put the master's resources into play in sync with the passions and motivations of the master. Well, then they go out and deploy the investment. They manage the investment. And we're not told what two of the three actually do. We're told the guy with five bags doubles it and the guy with two bags, but we're not told how they double it. How in the world can you double 20 years worth of salary legally? I don't know. How can you double a hundred year salary legal. I don't know how long the guy was gone, but that is an enormous pro, um, profit that these guys, that's part of the parable. And it's left completely vague. The guy who has a hundred year salary doubles the hundred year salary. He comes back, he has 200 year salary and he presents it to the master. The master says, wow, great job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the happiness of your master. The guy who comes back with 40 year salary, it's doubled. 
Well done, great job, good and faithful servant. Enter the happiness of your master. Well done. Well, what did the third guy do? Oh, here's the variable. Whenever you see the variable in the parable, almost always the variable highlights the point of the parable. The first two servants get the same exact result. It's almost like they're carbon copies. The amount's different, but the result is basically, there's no variable there. The third servant is the variable. He goes out and he buries 20 years salary. Um, Notice, his life was not changed one bit by the enormous gracious gift that his master gave him. His life did not change at all. He went through the same, he lived through the same hoops. He jumped through the same, his schedule stayed the same. One day he dug a hole in the ground, he put the treasure in it, but after that, his life stayed exactly the same. There was no difference, no change, no transformation. His life stayed exactly the same, even though he's been given 20 years worth of salary. Nothing changes. Huh. What's the motivation? How does the motivation work? Well, it seems like the first two guys are thrilled to follow what they believe are the passions and intentions and the rhythms of their master. And they somehow double the money. They are productive and profitable. We're not exactly sure what they do, but they do it. And the master's overjoyed and they're obviously pleased. They get a well done, good and faithful servant. They get the reward. They get to keep the money. It's amazing. How about the motivation of the third guy? Um, Notice what he says. Well, I knew that you're a hard man. You harvest where you don't sow, and you gather where you haven't scattered seed, and I was scared to death that I was going to squander some of what you gave me. So I dug a hole, and I buried it, and here is that gift you gave me in full. Now, lest you think burying 20-year salary in the ground is really stupid, It wasn't that stupid in Jesus' day. In fact, some of the rabbis even had written at that time that an individual is not liable for money that's stolen that had been buried because you'd bury something for safekeeping. You know, you couldn't go to Univest, you couldn't go to, you know, Harleysville Savings and deposit your money and get a little interest. It wasn't going to happen that way. So what you would do if you were afraid robbers, thieves are going to come, rather than put it in your house where thieves could come, you would dig a hole where only you know where it is. You'd put the money there, you'd cover it up so it doesn't look like anything's buried there. But you know where it is, you go back and get it. So you're not liable if you, this guy kept it for safekeeping. That was not a moronic thing to do. It was actually a pretty wise thing to do. What does uh, the master say to him? You wicked, lazy slave. Huh. Was it easy digging or what? Was he on the beach digging? No, you know, the soil in the Middle East, it is maybe, not, it, maybe it's not quite as hard as digging around here with all the rock in there and the clay, but if you're going to de- bury 20 years' worth of salary, You're going to exert a fair bit of energy burying it. That a guy isn't lazy in the sense that he doesn't want to physically exert himself. The word lazy is an internal word. It's not an external word. You don't want to expend energy. It's an internal word. He's fearful. He's timid. He doesn't want to take any risks. 
because he's afraid of the master. Isn't that interesting? Nothing changes in his life, even though he receives this enormous gift. Nothing changes because he's afraid of the master. What does that prove? He doesn't know the master. He's a servant, but he doesn't know the master. His heart does not be in sync with the master. His life is out of sync with the master. He may be a servant of the master trying to jump through the hoops, but he does not know the master and live in sync with the passions and motivations of the master. Well, the reward service comes, uh, accountability day comes. They come in and the guy with five now has 10. Well done. There's words of commendation. There's a reward given. Guy who had two now has four words of commendation, rewards. The other guy comes in. When Jesus tells the parable, when the master says to him, so you think that I harvest where I haven't sown and I gather where I haven't scattered seed. He does not accept the hard part. The servant says, I knew that you were a hard man. The master acknowledges, yeah, that's right. I gather where I didn't scatter and I harvest where I didn't plant, but I'm not a hard guy. That's proof the servant doesn't know the master. Doesn't know the man. He's out of sync with the master. Huh. Well, what are uh, points of application? The application points are pretty easy. Uh, let me make two. God has graciously given every one of us enormous resources that we haven't earned and we don't deserve. Now, those resources actually are talents and bags of gold. But in the parable, it's not talents as in harmonica playing, banjo playing, cooking. Those talents are actual physical resources, but God has given us enormous resources. Oh, yeah, and uh, God expects you to be productive with what he gives you. God does not want us to be passive, just protecting what God's given. God wants us to be productive because just like the master in the story, God is more interested in growing us than he is in getting a profit on the resources he's given us. God wants to grow us. Second point of application is that God commends and rewards faithful, productive stewards. If we're good stewards with the resources God's given, there will be words of commendation. Don't you long for those words? Well done, good. Now we even hear that, right? We hear it in lots of sermons. Well done. Don't you want to hear that? Well, God will give words of commendation to those that have been faithful stewards. And God rewards. We don't talk a whole lot about rewards, but there's a reward ceremony. And there are rewards given for those that have been faithful stewards. And right now, a lot of you are thinking, well, we could end this sermon early. Man, we're like 12 minutes after. Let's wrap this puppy up. Go home. Ah, no, we can't finish yet. Remember, we've said for a number of weeks now, Jesus told parables not to entertain. Jesus told parables in order to transform and change. He wants us to read ourselves into the parable. So to help you do that, I've got a couple questions I want to ask you. And between you and God, you just kind of sit there and answer them, right? Uh, notice that one day you will have a final exam, and it's not here at Calvary Church, just let you know. And so this is kind of a step along the way. Treat this as a pop quiz. 
in the move toward the final exam that'll come later on. Some questions right from the parable, right from the Bible, that'll help you put some of this together. Here's the first question. What resources have I been given? You answer that for you. What resources have you been given? Now, those resources come in all different flavors. Um, there are bags of gold in the story, but there are also talents. You have some of those resources. So let me uh, run down a list. What skills have you been? I know, I know. You're real disciplined and worked hard. You have some skills, right? Your hand-eye coordination, you didn't earn or develop it. You've got it. Some of you can sing really well. Some of you play the harmonica, the banjo, the guitar, the drums. You do all kinds. You make noise lots of different ways. Um, do you have any skills related to that? We regularly have um, auditions at Calvary Church for members of the worship team. Everybody that plays, you know, in one of the worship groups here, um, they have gone through the audition process. They have skills. I think we'd all be, yeah, we have some skilled people. Do you have any of those skills? What resources have you been given by way of skill? Maybe some of you are real good with your hands. You can uh, build things. I met a guy yesterday afternoon. He's walking out with this box. And, uh, it wasn't here. It was at a, and I said, what's that? He said, I don't know. Somebody gave it to me. It's broken. I'll fix it. I said, you know how to fix it? I don't even know what's wrong with it yet. I'll be able to fix it. Bring it home next week. Huh. I'd throw that box out. <laughs> oh, some of you have some of those skills. Um, how about your body? Your body's a resource you've been given. Maybe you can do certain skills with that body. Most of you have your sanity. That, that's a good thing. We all have experiences that God has allowed or pushed us through, right? Uh, let me ask, how old are you? Hey, don't yell out a number. Hey, how old do you think you look? Right? Ask the person that. No, no, don't answer. <laughs> um, it's funny how we underestimate those numbers, right? Um, yeah, but with age comes experience. Well, those experiences are designed by God to not only change us, but then to be useful to other people? What wounds have happened in your experience? I never cease to be amazed by the fact that God often uses our wounds more than our stellar successes and victories as opportunities to minister to other people. So what wounds, what heartaches have you experienced Rather than being a blight, maybe that's actually an asset in doing ministry and continue what Jesus started. They're all resources. How about education? Degrees? You went through school, went through college, high school, grad school. All of those things. You were shaped in those different experiences. And those shaping experiences give you a network and the ability to converse and be in relationship with other people that none of the rest of us have. Are you using those or are you kind of passive in all those relationships? How's that working out for you? Do you get, it, get the idea of resources? It's sad that we have a number of measures to measure health as we go through life. Hopefully you go to you know, a doctor once a year to get a physical. Men go to the doctor once a year to get a physical. Um, and when you go... You, the doctor kind of lets you know how you're doing, right? Pulse rate, blood pressure, cholesterol, height, weight. All, hey. College is out now, GPA, right? Your grade point average. How are you doing compared to the rest of the class? Are you passing or are you failing? How do you know how well you're doing spiritually? Well, the one way you can do that is you take stock, take inventory of your resources. What has God given you? And then the second question is, what are you going to do 
with the resources that God's given. Now, I must admit, I did have on my paper up until like Thursday, question 1A. It was kind of a two, but we made the two a one. The question was, what have I done? But that was too convicting after a while, right? But we have all those resources, and they've been given graciously by God. We haven't earned them. We haven't merited. haven't done anything to get them. God's given us all these great resources. What have you done? What will you do with them? Have you been passively hoarding? Watch I show hoarders. That's disgusting, right? Are you hoarding them, burying them in the ground passively? Or are you putting them into play? Are you leveraging them, investing them in the lives of other people, investing them in the community? What will you do? You know, one of the things that we regularly do at Calvary Church is mention opportunities for you to participate. That's not primarily because we need to man all these different positions, even though that part's true. We want to put before you the opportunities to put your resources and abilities into play to help you receive a well-done, good, and faithful servant based on the parable in Matthew 25. Will you volunteer for Kid Fest? You know, there's still openings. Will you um, put some of the physical resources, maybe some of the money God's given you, will you put that into play to continue what Jesus started? You know, the year's almost half over already, and I'll tell you, we're... We're over $100,000 behind budget, not behind expenses, about $100,000 behind budget. That's not insurmountable, but it's something we need to know, right? Are you putting the resources that God gave into play to continue what God's doing? And lastly, what words do you want to hear on that day of accountability? What words do you want to hear? I don't think any of you want to hear, you wicked, lazy servant. How many want to hear that? My guess is you want to hear, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I want to put you in charge of many things. Enter the happiness of your man. My guess is you want to hear that. Well, here's the interesting thing. We move toward that destination one decision at a time. The decisions you make today, some you already made and some you will make today, the decisions you make tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, those little decisions all add up to the words you hear and the reward you receive at the end. Live with the end in view. What do you want to happen at the end? Then live to get there. Rather than just whatever happens, kind of go with the flow and hope for the best, Jesus tells us parables to read ourselves into the story. Let's do that. What resources has God graciously given you? What will you do with them? And to help you answer the question, what words do you want to hear at the end? Let that guide us in our decisions day by day. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your loving reminder through stories like this that you're not only a loving God who's distributed resources freely and graciously, but you're a God who holds us accountable and expects a return. You're not a hard, demanding God, but you do expect production. You expect that we continue what Jesus started and results come from that. So, Father, help us to live with the end in view. Help us to be thankful for the examples you've put into our lives of people that have done that well. And may we be positive examples to those that are with us and those that come after us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.